Hey guys, welcome back to the Protecting Nest Podcast. It's your boy Dodson. We live and local here with Lance Broussard, stepping up at his job just so we can get this podcast going with uh, David Grubb. So that's how it's going to be for the next 30 minutes. I hope y'all enjoy it. Lance, how you doing? Man, I'm doing well, Dawson, man. Just uh, just trying to make it. Uh, like you said, I am at work, but, you know, rain, sleet, or snow. You know, we got to talk it. Uh, got to protect the nest. Yeah, got to protect the nest, man. Rain, rain, sleet, or snow. So. And one of the biggest people doing that in sports in New Orleans is our man David Grubb. I know you've heard a lot of Dr. Dre, get my grub on type intros. There's one more for you. But David Grubb, man, how you doing? Appreciate you having me on your radio station today. Let the people know where you're at. Yeah, I mean, I'm kicking it in my, you know, temporary studio up in Baton Rouge that I had to sort of take and put together while we're doing this. And, uh, you know, wrapped up another great show today, and I appreciate you coming on. Every time you come, you bring knowledge, you bring um, the thunder. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to return the favor, man. You do me you do me a solid every time you come on. Man, that's all it is in this world right now. It's trying to do people favors, keep things going. And you've had one of the most diverse shows going nationally, not just here locally, but nationally just because you can bring on so many different people like a chris connor your burry rice connections uh myself uh you've had on just pretty much everybody but you want to just maybe explain the backside of media and how the the change in covid's been so maybe some of the younger people in the game can can see how they need to get creative maybe in this new time yeah absolutely i mean i think the first thing that it really reinforced and I've always been the kind of person who wanted to make sure I had multiple skills because I, I came up originally on the television broadcasting side and then I got into PR and marketing um, for a while and then came back to sports journalism and then into radio. So I've seen it from all the angles and I've always tried to build my skills up. But now, even more than ever, because of the fragmentation of sports media and all media in general, um, the big companies are, are consolidating and letting people go. Um, so there's more competition out in the market. So you have to be able to do everything. If you can't write, if you can't create a presence in social media, if you can't create um, a visual presence, if you can't create um, uh, an online presence via either podcasting or YouTube or whatever, if you can't do multiple things, it's just really hard for you to create a place where you can stand out. And then the other part of it, too, is, you know, we've, sports conversation kind of has devolved into it. Everybody has to have a hot take. And young kids coming up, I see that a lot when they show me their stuff, is that they want to make the most aggressive take possible. Great great sports writing to me, um, you know, or great sports casting to me is about having the information having a point of view still because there, you still should have a point of view that you're trying to convey but it should be based on fact and it's not about trying to be hard and fast because things change it's about communicating with the audience and i think if young journalists and young broadcasters spend more time on figuring out who they are and getting comfortable with who they are and their own voice instead of trying to write something that people will react to um those are the people who tend to be more successful yeah, uh, Lance can tell you I'm not big on the social media. I even sent him a picture of the uh, yeah. screenshot of that, that article I just wrote. 10,000 engagements with the tweet, and there was one person who actually clicked the URL and went and read the story. Yeah. Like, that's where I get off on social media culture. Sometimes you need to tell the story and leave yourself out of it. Yeah. And there's too many people who want to put themselves into it. Yeah, I remember uh, when we first started, uh, we did a big uh, article on um, the NOLA Elite League. I don't know if you heard of that, but uh, that's like, you know, yeah. So 
I'm well entrenched with the guys that that run the league, the talent uh, of the New Orleans basketball circuit. And when we were trying to get, you know, folks to promote, you know, this article and, you know, this pipeline of talent, you know, Dawson was he was kind of, you know, shook at first because uh, the media, even though the article was so good, people had clicked 15, 20,000 clicks. You know, they weren't reading the article and it was just kind of skimming through the title and the headline, and, you know, so just so they could get a screenshot for Instagram. Correct. Yeah, for sure. And I- I think that leaks in more, not to leak it to society, but people just get the headline and they don't get the real story behind the narrative. It's clout. That's and, what it is, clout. They want but, their clout. But it's surface-level you know? clout. Yeah, for sure. And then, yeah, and they want to just, like you said, they, a lot of people that you find, if you try to have a real conversation with them about the topic, they've only scanned headlines. You know what I mean? Like, they, they know the emotional part of the story but when you try to get into the details with them and have an intelligent conversation about an issue or or something related to uh, sports, they don't have anything. There's nothing else there. And, you know, yeah, that, that part of that's on us as, as the creators. We have to make sure that the content is accessible. But part of that, too, is like if you if you say these people want to have opinions and want to be heard, and you have to do your research. You have to have more than just a superficial understanding of what it is you're talking about. This is work. It isn't, you know, it's fun to do. I love this, but it, it's a commitment. And if you don't understand, if you come into this thinking that this is a recreational thing, if this is something you can do just because you love sports, no, you got to love all of it. You got to love storytelling. You got to love writing. You got to love being critiqued. You got to be able, you know, all those things. If you don't have people around you who push you and say, you know, that was dog shit, you need to do better. If you don't have those kind of people around you, you're never going to grow. But too many of, I think a lot of these kids, or I don't want to say kids, but a lot of people coming into this business, they don't want to be criticized. Mm-mm. Right. I come from a politics background. And Lance can tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm some, some somewhat ornery, even in public, because that's my passion. That's my engagement. And I find that sports writers in general seem to be maybe more a little thin-skinned. There's a lot of this block you on Twitter culture. Where in politics, that's the nature of the beast is arguing, getting down to the, the nitty gritty. And some folks, they'll get maybe y'all, we can link this to society and sports. They get offended if you question them. Maybe that's Scout by Brian. I know we've all heard that story. <laughs> but that happens in society, too. They, they don't understand much of the story, but they get offended when they ask maybe a, a silly question just on their feelings. And sometimes feelings really do matter. And sometimes you need to leave it out of it and just get to the facts. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you see that a lot of times in locker rooms. You know, when you do post-game and you're in there talking to players, and you see people who clearly either are not listening to what the players are saying because they're so focused on the question that they wanted to ask, or they didn't really pay attention to the game itself uh, with their question because they came in with an agenda. You know what I mean? When you, I, I, I don't like walking into a locker room with an agenda. I have an idea, you know, of what I've watched during the game. But I'm always, you know, I'm always listening because what somebody tells you during the course of an interview or a course of a couple of questions, it can completely change what you came in there thinking about. You could hear something that was way more important than what you thought you had. Or you could, I mean, it just changes the, your perspective because, which, you know, the information you take. But you've seen it plenty of times. You know how it works. There are guys who walk in and women who walk in and they come in with their agenda. They write that they already know what they want. They just want to get the quotes to fill their story. And as soon as they get that, they leave. And you're not providing anything to the audience other than what you wanted to give them. Right. They want to not listen to the narrative. They want to frame the narrative. Yep. And I, yeah, that's just how 
again, coming from politics, that's kind of how we got in this bind that we're in today. Uh, before we get into basketball, one more question. For the last few weeks, I've said I'd be remiss, especially with Lance, yourself, people of color. If you come on and got something new, maybe you want to, to say some new process that you've understood uh, in these last few weeks. Because everybody had a hot take again when the George Floyd murder happened. That's all it was was a murder. And everything has happened behind it. But if you're not learning something new every day, I think you're failing yourself and you're failing society. And again, that's how I come at it. People think that's ornery. But I do want to ask you if there's anything maybe that you learned from yesterday today or the day before, something you've seen since the, the, the Bubba Wallace incident. Especially. Yeah, I mean, that that reveals again, you know, the sadness of people being giddy um, about the fact that, you know, they said it was a pull-down rope. Um now, now, you've seen the pictures that just came out. Yes, I've seen the pictures, and I'll give you a, a story in a minute, but I was somewhat raised around racing culture in northwest Louisiana, the dirt tracks of Sabine Parish. Mm-hmm. I was there almost every weekend with my grandpa, and I'll tell you this much. I've never seen a noose as a pull-down rope except for one other garage, and frankly, me and my ma- grandpa hated the man. We understood what it was then. They should have understood what it was when it went up in that garage initially and somebody's seen it since then before it it was you know was blown up this week yeah when you look at like when nascar looked at 1700 different garages and that's the only one that had a noose it's like okay you know <laughs> but yeah that that whole thing of just people being you know calling it you know bubba smollett and, and, a, and a fake and all these things like that they're missing the point and that's what that's the biggest thing that just you're continuing to see how many people want this conversation to be about individual incidents rather than the overall problem. And the overall problem is structural. It's not, you can't just say, well, take two bad cops out and that fixes it, or get rid of this politician and it fixes it. It's a structural thing that's built into us from the day we start consuming Americana. You know what I mean? So it's just to, to watch that part. Not that I'm totally surprised by it, because I've been black for 44 years, but um, it's, it, that's disheartening and disappointing, is that there are just still so many vocal people who, who take joy in the frustration, the suffering, the anguish of others. Right, and it, it's sad to see. It's sad to see that some people still can't recognize it. Some people don't understand it. Some people don't want to ask questions about it. And again, not to go too too deep into a story, I'll I'll give y'all the first time I ever knew what racism was. I was young. Some people have been sheltered from it their whole life, but uh, I think we all know different stereotypes that are around redneck racist culture, Confederate flag culture. But I was raised by a single teenage mom. Didn't know my dad. Neither did my brother. His, his dad passed uh, before he was born. But I heard comments about you know. My friends, black children that were staying with me at my house and watching wrestling, and they all knew their fathers, but there were some uneducated fools that made comments that hurt me hearing it because of my situation. They were projecting it on another group of people for no reason. And that was the day, I mean, I'm five, six years old. I started hearing comments like that and going, wait a minute, that, that that's something wrong. I didn't know what the word racism was, but I understood projecting something onto someone just because of a stereotype, a color of their skin, some some prejudice, some racism, whatever it was. And I think I think being able to have those hard conversations and being honest 
can happen on both sides and bring us closer together if we want to listen instead of be offended or just look for a headline and some surface level clout with you know a, a blackout post on Instagram that might bring awareness but what else has it really done have you have you helped someone with that and that's where I'm at with it yeah I, I agree with you I, you know I just I think people are starting to try to trying to let this the momentum die down like some people did this thing in the moment a lot of people in there and they're will let it think back to the back of their consciousness and you know that's as a sports connection you see guys like malcolm jenkins today saying this is not the time for this or you know the concerns brought up by avery bradley and kyrie irving and a number of players who have started to speak out it's this is a critical time because uh, you know there are very few moments in, in the nation's history where we deal with things like this and with all of this converging at one time coronavirus racial issues, the economic things that are going on in this country, the political messes that we have in this country, it just feels like we're sitting on this very historic moment and we have a decision to make. And if, if, if like you say, we can't do performative justice, we can't do performative conciliate, uh, reconciliation. It has to be genuine, it has to be real, and it's going to hurt. It It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot of people, but in the end, I think we'll be better for it because this is a marriage where there is no divorce. You know, this is something where, you know, if you're in, a, I'm not married, but if you put the problem off, you put the problem off in any relationship, it's just going to fester and grow. Deal with the problem and, and, you know, rip the band aid off and go past it. But going past those deeper issues, and I, again, I appreciate you sharing, sharing with us here on the podcast. On your radio show, I, right at the end, I heard somebody pipe up about keeping Boogie Cousins off the team. And, I'm not saying bring him to the team, but I was just saying I'm, I would be open to the idea. Starting with just that roster, bit of roster construction, would you be open to Boogie coming back, and where do you want to see this roster go forward as far as like Orlando and how it's used and then going into the, the offseason with Brandon Egram's Lumen decision? Um, I mean, I'm not against Boogie returning if he comes back in shape and in the right attitude. They need depth in the front court. That's been the one thing that – has been consistent throughout the season is when they go to the bench, they just don't have any beef. Yeah. It's too small and they get beat up and there's no one to protect the rim. Zion is not a shot blocker at this stage. I think he had what, three in 19 games, three or four. Right. Some of those were at the perimeter. Right. So it's not like Zion is a rim protector. Favors is the only one. Favors isn't even really a shot blocker, but he's a rim protector in the sense that he can keep people out of the paint. But once you bring in Okafor, once you bring in Jackson Hayes, neither one of them is either able to, in the case of Jaleel, because he just doesn't just doesn't seem to get it, or in Jackson, just he's lost. And and so I think you could use a veteran big um, on this team, and that was the one thing that I'd been hoping for. Like as soon as Favors was hurt, I said, you know, go sign a big, go please. You know, why didn't the Pelicans go after Joachim Noah back then? Why didn't they go after? Um, you know, there were available veteran bigs who I thought could have helped. So if they could do that now, um, and Boogie, like I said, if he's in shape and he's got a good attitude, why not? It's a low-risk, high-reward type of thing because that also takes minutes off for your young players who you want preserved for the next season, which is you know just around the corner, quite literally. So yeah, I'm not I'm not adverse to it, but overall with the roster. Um, I hope that they do bring up, you know, uh, bring Zion Cheatham and Josh Gray in. I think Cheatham uh, should get every minute that they were thinking about giving to um, uh, 
Kenrich Williams because I just don't think Kenrich is is going to be any better than what he was at this stage. We know what he is. That's what he is. I think Cheatham has a higher upside athletically. I think he has a higher upside offensively, um, and I would like to see him get some minutes. And then overall, if I'm the Pelicans, I'm not really. If you get, if you make it to the playoffs, cool. But the main thing for me is I, I just want this roster to be balanced. Uh, you know, not overplay anybody for 35, 38 minutes a night, and and escape this thing healthy. Because uh, you know, yeah, Brandon Ingram is a short free agency period, but the Pelicans have that advantage, the, the ability to match. And I, I think that that was, you know, I think that's going to happen. They'll they'll either throw the max out the first day. Um, which would probably be the most likely thing to send a signal. Um, and I, I, I don't doubt that he'll be back. And I think Josh Hart would probably get his extension sooner rather than later. Um, but Lonzo Ball the, the, uh, would be the one that I think waits until the end of his deal and tests the free agency because I, I think he, he thinks he's going to get the max. And the Pelicans might right now may not be wanting to offer him that. Where you at with that, Lance? I mean, I, I'm not saying Boogie's going to be great, but I was just saying he, he didn't burn his bridges like an Eric Gordon. But what about the rest of the roster? Would you agree with Grub on the end? Yeah, no, let me tell you. If Boogie, let me tell you. If Boogie wants to come back, you know, uh, I'm 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 all over for arms. I mean, yeah, he... He won't get the contract he no, was looking for. I mean, but of course not. Of course not. But he was market. universally loved in New Orleans prior to, you know, the Boogie bomb. You know, I mean... We all were in the arena for that 2018 game when they're chanting Boogie. You know, uh, I definitely was there. I went to, uh, you know, I bought the DeMarcus Cousins comedy hoodie. You feel me? What you know? So I'm, I'm definitely wouldn't be averse. I think he could also help, for maybe provide some big minutes. Maybe, maybe you know, teach Zion about maybe you know some post work. Uh, you know, Boogie also was led the league in charges for a couple years. So maybe he can help him out on that end also um, as far as just being a smarter, you know, defender. I know Boogie – I know defense, I know the defense isn't his big calling call, but he is an experienced vet. And like I said, he led the league in charges, so he does no body positioning. He can teach him the tricks of the trade For down sure. low. The, the dirty tricks, you know, that's that sort of stuff. Hey, if the ref don't see it, it's legal. There you go. They don't blow the whistle. But what you think about the uh, approach for Ingram and, and Lonzo? Yeah. Give Ingram the max first day. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, six foot seven or eight or nine, however you want to do. Brandon Ingram just, you know, scores. Just don't grow on trees. Um, he's 22 years old. He has a chance to grow into his body. I don't know if you guys saw, but he posted a video or a video surface surfaced of his workout uh, about a week ago, and you can just tell. And you can just look at his legs, and you can tell. That he he's put on maybe five or ten pounds of, of I say maybe five pounds of muscle. You can tell that frame is starting to fill out, and he's gonna be scary, you know, if he continues his trajectory, built physical wise and you know, skill wise. By the time he's 26 in his prime. There you go. Well, that seems to be the consensus around the, the yeah. city. Yeah, for uh, sure. And you know me, I'm a big Lonzo Ball fan, so you know I'm uh I I do. I do believe in the pairing of uh, Zoe and Zion, and sometimes you know you got to think of it as: is it better if is is Zion better in a vacuum by himself, or is Zoe and Zion better together? And then maybe that's that's what you got to ask for. That sometimes that might be the question that you got to ask. Right, kind of like the Clippers had to look at the trade for uh, Paul George is kind of a package deal for Kawhi and Paul George. Correct, exactly. Right. And I think again that's that was a consensus trade. But one thing that's not a consensus on in New Orleans. Is whether they'd have wanted to bubble in town. I broke that story 
a couple of days ago once this comes out. David Grubb, I talked a little bit about it on your show, but we've seen people tweeting about, you know, how the mayor tweeted out one of the one of the one quotes that I couldn't put somebody's name behind, which I thought was a silly move by the mayor. But, <laughs> you know, past that, would y'all wanted to see the NBA try and do their bubble concept in New Orleans? Uh, did you hear anything on your end about other other cities bidding? Was this a total shock to you, or were you kind of in a loop but just was the story not quite put together on your end? No, it was a shock to me. I, I had not heard anything about it, and, and even in the circles of the NBA people that I, you know that I frequent and talk to, none of them had heard about it either. So the NBA had done a hell of a job of keeping it under wraps because you know nation nationwide we only heard really it was either going to be Vegas or it was going to be Florida. That was just the general consensus. Correct. So, like you said, Ohio was certainly in the mix, but I never really nobody was really talking about New Orleans. I just I never you know especially when New Orleans was a hot spot initially. That even made it more, in my mind, just like, why would we, we get in that business? Um, but, yeah, I think it could have taken, like we talked about, I think New Orleans could have handled it because of the proximity, because there is literally a hotel that's 10 steps away from the Superdome. You know, So you have that, and you have a building that is owned by Bill Benson right next to that. And so you have... It's just it would have been very easy to house those teams or whatever, and you had, like we talked about the, the proximity of facilities and not having a real difficult time in getting to those uh, for practices or games. It could have it could have worked, um, and if you know the, the thing for me is always going to be is this the best thing to do because of the safety concerns? I'm still not sure. Uh, so, but otherwise, if you took that out of it, then yeah, I think New Orleans could have handled it, and I think they could have done a, a really good job with it, uh, and. Because, again, New, I think also, to New Orleans, people in general are not bothersome people. Now, celebrities come through New Orleans all the time, and you don't really see people bothering them. I've, I've seen them walking down the street, you know, in the quarter or whatever, or uptown. You know, nobody says anything because it's just it's not that way. So I think it could have been done here without, a, you know, of course, there'd be attention. But I think overall it could have been handled here. Yeah, and uh, just to piggyback on, you know, what you're saying, Grub. One of the other things uh, that suggests that it could have worked here is that when New Orleans was such a hot spot, we were one of the quickest, not just not just New Orleans, but Louisiana, we are one of the quickest cities and states to flatten the curve. You know, we, we, flattened, we flattened the curve immediately as soon as folks started putting on masks, you know, listening to Mayor Cantrell, you know, as much as... As much as you know that economy, you know, hurt in New Orleans is a party city, it hurt, but the curve flattened very fast, very quickly. And in April and May, those numbers did come down. Right. What surprised me about the New Orleans bid, though, or the bid process in general from what I know about it, is the WNBA, the TBT, the NBA, they were all looking for spots. So it was, it was I guess, smart of New Orleans and the state to look into maybe hosting one of those. But now what do they do now that, you know, the TBT's picked Ohio, the NBA's sticking with Orlando, even though Florida's having a, a wild time over there. It's just chaotic as far as just the messaging and the governor. And they all seem to be fighting it. Where, Lance, you, you, that's what you're saying. We had a bit of a synergy to the response, and that's why they could think about that sort of sort of bid. Yeah. But there seems to be now more synergy between just the New Orleans Pelicans, the city and state, Instead of the Pelicans piggybacking yeah, so, on the Saints with the governor's office. Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, you know, honestly, just to say, you know, there's no right or wrong answer to any of the questions. You know, I saw Mayor Cantrell getting a lot of heat because she released a statement saying basically 
she wants uh she threatened pretty much to close down you know gatherings you know things of that size while also submitting the bid for the nba and while that seems like two contradicting statements i believe that it could have worked and she also had a great reasoning you know behind it it's basically saying she's thinking about boosting uh the economy of new orleans and louisiana in general and I, it was a very smart idea now what now while that where it is that the healthiest decision wise you know we don't know you know but i like the effort definitely for sure you know as us being a small market you know that would have definitely put attention on us you know we've seen people in the national media i've seen zach Lowe, you know and those guys uh the guy over there who uh worked matt moore who works for hallwood paroxysm i've seen them guys say all the time that they would just prefer the all-star game being in new orleans every year you know so I, I would prefer that too i think everybody in new orleans would prefer that but uh Grub, how do you think about, or what do you think has been the big changes between the synergy between uh, maybe the state and the Pelicans? Do you see the Pelicans being their own entity now, or are they still kind of piggybacking on some of these efforts with the Saints branding behind them? Yeah, the Pelicans are trying, but I still don't think they've completely divorced the organization from the Saints yet. Um, I understand that it's always going to be a tie there, but I will say this. There has been a stark difference in the way that the Pelicans have handled this time off and handled the this um the the issues surrounding race during this moment than the way that the Saints have. There's just been a big big difference. Whereas the Saints kind of have relied on individual players to do whatever, the Pelicans, at least under Griffin, seem to have a much more proactive front in that regard. But I would say this: it's consistent across both teams. Communications and public relations are terrible. I mean, they're terrible. I'm sorry. It's just I, I do not understand why they are so reluctant to communicate with the local media. I don't understand why they are so reluctant to make players available to the local local media. I just don't get it in a town that's so passionate about its sports that wants to connect with its sports figures. I don't understand why they have been so poor at doing that. They're bad at returning calls. They're bad at you know, giving you information. They're bad at including people. And I, it's just, that is the biggest down, uh, downfall for the Pelicans, I think, is that they, they, they don't have people, the right people in place to really brand their message. They're relying on the people within the organization and not the professionals whose job it's supposed to be. Right, and I've said and sent into the team about Ingram and uh, Jackson Hayes, him going to the protest and what he learned and how he matured between his ran at the all-star game about not getting in versus now and how he might see the bigger picture. And it's been, it's been kind of crickets on that end. I've sent, you know, look, I, Marshall uh, in particular talks basketball more than any other. And I have been reaching out to them since August 5th is when I made my debut last year. I've reached out to them weekly, monthly to just get, you know, can I get coach Gentry for 15 minutes? Can I get one player for 10 minutes? I have not. I don't even get emails back. I don't even get emails back at this point, and it's just I don't understand that. I don't know. It, it, even if they had a problem with me, it's it's really you know if that's the case, I don't know. But if it was short sight, it's short sighted in my mind to not give access to the fans. It ain't about me. It's about your fans, and I'm not gonna ambush anybody on my show. I never have. I never will. I just want to talk to the players and let them give insight to a fan base that wants to be educated 
like you said, New Orleans is trying to become a basketball town. And you have to raise the level of understanding of the sport by constantly being a presence. And the Pelicans don't do that. Yeah, even though they have so many more games, it seems like you still hear about the Saints more. Uh, you say basketball town. I got ripped on Twitter for saying that. It's a city, apparently. But, again, the Hoops, I, I replied, the Hoops family here in New Orleans is just a little village. And the only way to grow that is to have honest, authentic communications with it. And once you package stuff too much, it, it, it the fans realize that. And if they know they're not getting something authentic, where the game is authentic to, to the fans. It's not staged. Yes. There's not fit. That's the game. The game is bigger than everybody. That's authentic. But coming with just certain, yeah, things that I guess they've packaged for little questionnaires, they want to go deeper than that. Maybe the fans or the players and the team would say, well, that's why you go to social media. Well, that's got to where that's packaged too now. We just talked about that. It's so much clout. Put somebody in not the hot box. You're not going to rush them, but you just want to talk to them and see if their passion matches the production value. That's one of the things I've appreciated about uh, Matt Hillman and Josh Hart and why I actually do stories about what they're doing off the court is you can see they're actually engaged in it. It's something they believe in. It's not something where they're just signing their name over and, you know, that's it. Yeah, same with like J.J. Reddick. You know, J.J. clearly building something with his brand and, and in his podcast. And I think that fans need, that there are a lot of fans who don't know that, that don't know what he, what he does. And, and, and I think that this team is so likable in general. They're, they are guys that, that are easy to get behind. And if, if they could be brought in that way, that the only time we see them right now is like, if they're doing charitable work, which is great. I love it. But the, again, that accessibility in the, the NBA is the, is, the hallmark of it is the accessibility between fans and players. And you have to create that, uh, you know, that kind of environment. You have to shorten the distance between your fans and your players in and, and the NBA. Because I can see you. I, I know who you are. I know what you look like. And, and there's a different emotional part to that. And, and so I just think that the, it's, it's a huge misstep to not put those guys out front as much as you can. I mean, they could have been doing Skype interviews for, for right now. Those guys have had plenty of time, and there are plenty of people who'd love to just talk to Josh Hart, like I said, or talk to Lonzo and say, how's, how's the weightlifting going? How's the, the workouts going? Nobody's going to ambush them. Nobody's going to make them look bad. You just want to give people coverage. Right. It's not like if you have Lonzo on your show, the first question is going to be, so how nasty was that lawsuit battle? You know, or Zion for the same thing. You know, they both had their legal issues to break contracts the last few years. I mean, that that's not why you bring them on the shows. That's that's some sort of story that, and to that end, some players don't have the podcasting chops that JJ Reddick has. They don't have the media chops. They just need to be eased into it. Or if they want to tell their story in print form, go back and forth with them on text and messaging. And all right, I've got the issues. I, I as a reporter, I've got the facts. I can run with this however I want to. But let's tell your story because if it's an outreach program, you want to tell that story the best you can so it has the most impact in the community. Not for your clicks. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's inconsequential. Yeah, but you if gotta, you don't get the story right, it, it loses its value. Yeah, correct. And you got to give a, a lot of credit a lot of credit to uh, Gail Benson, you know, and uh, David Griffin, the guys over at the Saints organization also with uh, setting up that uh, task force, you know, against social injustice. And I want to say Alonzo is part of it. Uh, J.J. Reddick, you know, and just like you said, he always brings guests on. He had Jamal uh, Crawford on uh, not last week, you know, and just different voices 
he's he's given a you know a platform to social injustice. Uh, Demario Davis is he's also part of that uh, coalition, and uh, I think it's actually I actually I think it's you're getting you're getting ahead of what the Saints do, especially from a political and social standpoint, especially in light of you know Drew's comments earlier in the summer. That's Drew Brees for those that just don't keep up with it, but I think we all know. But is that somewhat maybe due to the demographics of the NBA's audience versus the NFL's audience? Yeah, I would I would absolutely say so. Um, you know, basketball is a much more diverse audience because it's a, it's a global game. You know, I mean, football is a United States game, and there is this cultural thing in the South that is connected to to the way football has been and there's this also this history of exclusion that goes deeper in the nfl than it does in the nba though they you know because the nba came on a little bit later and again once it has its own issues in its history but yeah it's it's an international game it, it, outside of soccer what's bigger than basketball and basketball is probably going to continue to get bigger and deeper as you see with nba africa and you see you know development of what's going on in australia players are getting better you got billion a billion people in china and basketball is an extremely popular game there. In another generation, China could be a basketball power. So you, you're just seeing that, that ga- the game is growing and the eyes are from so many different places. And it culturally, basketball locker rooms tend to be pretty open places. You walk in a basketball locker room, there is not really this this side and that side and offense or defense. So I think this, just the whole part of the sport, the, pat, the, the part that even as a kid, you just need two people to have a game. You know, I think basketball is, is, is a relatable person-to-person thing, whereas football is this distant gladiator. You know, I'm watching not people that I'm, I'm that are nondescript because they're covered by all of these pads and helmets and things. So I think it's a big cultural difference. I don't know how much credit I want to give Gail Benson because Gail's got some, some skeletons in her closet. For sure, for um, sure, especially with that, that Pope story, yeah, for sure. And um, so, yeah, so with that... Uh, but I, I would say this: I would, I would imagine that David Griffin, um, and, and look, you look at the Pelicans' front office; it is the most diverse front office in the league. Now let's flip that over to the Saints. It's the least, one of the least. There's only one African American in their entire hierarchy. So yeah, it's two completely different sides of the building in that regard. So I would imagine that the Pelicans had a much bigger push in that because if you remember too, the press releases that that the Saints and the Pelicans put out. Both of Gail's press releases, first when this happened and, you know, she was getting backlash because Zion had offered to pay for the workers. And then when this happened with Drew Brees and everything, both of those were very defensive press releases. Very defensive. Not really upbeat or saying, hey, we're glad to be a part of this, this change. They were very defensive. Like, look what we've done. And almost like chastising the people who were reading it for being ungrateful. Yeah, that, that was maybe tone deaf, maybe just a bad approach. Maybe they just needed to reread that and see how it was going to come off. To someone who wasn't in the building when they wrote the statement and could feel the sentiment they tried to put behind it because it didn't it didn't convey to the audience that it, it, it really needed to convey to. Uh, on that end, one more question and then we'll let you go. I'm always on your show getting questions about the Zion lawsuit. I'll flip the script. What do you think about it? Where do you think it's going to go? How much have you kept up with it? Uh, when did it, I guess, catch your attention? And what's the, what's the ultimate result you want to see out of it as far as player empowerment, student-athlete empowerment, and changes to the game so that the, the next generation, they don't have to deal with these problems? I mean, this is why I love um, things like 
the professional collegiate league and and what and even with the G League's initiative because it eliminates a lot of this stuff. You know, I mean, it, we know that, that this is a game of trying not to get caught because these kids have no other option than to they have to do this one year. That had been that's what's been beaten into their heads. You got to go to college. You got to go to college. So the game starts. Yeah, you know, it starts when you're in the ninth grade, tenth grade, and. This is, to me, anything that pushes, I hope the outcome from this is the continued dismantling of the NCAA and the college sports system. I want it, I want this just complete breakdown of that foundation because it's been exploitative from the start. And we are the only country in the world that has this direct connection between education and athletics. And it has not served education and it has not served athletics. And it's about time we start really reevaluating re- this. And why are we only punishing a small group of athletes and not allowing them to take advantage of their talents for however long that they are marketable? Because some of them are only going to be marketable for the two or three years they're in college. So I believe that some, you know, the most of things, the most personal thing you have is your face and your name. You are born with those two things. That's what you got. And there should not be a system where that can be taken away from you. Zion Williamson is going to be okay, like we talked about on the show. Um, he'll, he'll be fine no matter how this comes out unless he loses some money. But even then, he'll make that back. I think the biggest thing is continue to indict the system. This system does not work to the benefit of a single student athlete. And I think in, in large part, universities are finding out now with the financial binds that they've been put in, this with the appearance of a lack of sports baseball, the very thought of it, I think you're going to see more academicians and more university presidents start reevaluating the relationship on their campuses between sports and uh, academics. Yeah, well, you're familiar with the, the academy system in soccer, right? Yes. Yeah. Why does America not just go to the academy system? Why don't the Pelicans have a U23 team? Or U12 team in Alexandria, Lafayette, Natchitoches, Shreveport, those sorts of build-up programs, which is now coming to America in soccer with FC Dallas's program and the Houston uh, sprawl and starting up youth programs like that. Just it, it seems so obvious, and it puts more money into the game and gets more people into the game. I just and, don't get it. Yeah, I mean, look at like you said, not just soccer. Luka Doncic was pro at 15. Kristaps Porzingis, 15. You know, Tony Parker, 15. Does anybody have a problem with them? Is anybody worried about their futures? Ricky Rubio was 14. You know what I'm saying? So is anybody worried about their futures? So that tells you right there that the argument is fallacious. You know, it's just there's there's nothing real about saying that you're protecting these kids more by sending by making sure that they go through all this to get to to the professional leagues. The kids who are gonna make it are gonna make it. The kids who aren't aren't. And you, you have to give people the opportunity to chase their potential. We don't hold child actors back. We don't hold child performers in a lot of things back. But in just these two things, you know, basketball, football, in those areas, you have these really archaic rules because basically it's about saving money. Nobody wants to pay for minor leagues. And they know, and again, they, they, it, it makes money for the universities about saving it and making it. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, Lance, you got anything to add before we let Grub go? You got any questions for him? Man, Grub, let me ask you a question, man. I just want to say um, I appreciate your show. Um, I appreciate all the work you do. I've been following you guys, you know, um, for the better part of, I want to say, maybe seven, eight years. And I've seen your progression. And I just want to say, you know, as a fellow black man uh, in this society and what's going on, man, it's good to see. And I'm proud of you. And I 
appreciate it. And um, like I, said, the, I think when you're given a platform, it's part of my duty is not just to be great for myself, but it's also to bring other folks along. And that's that's been a big thing for me. And that's why that's why I appreciate you know noticing that I have a really diverse set of guests because I do. I try to I try to seek out new voices. I try to seek out people who maybe haven't been heard in this region before and exposed. Because I mean, look, it, you know, ultimately we all gain more exposure you get to different points of view you gain either you can reject it you can accept it but you didn't you don't lose anything by hearing new voices right so i I just appreciate that and that's you know my goal is going to be to continue to do the best i can with my show but also to to try to help bring up the next wave yeah uh, do you remember the article from the ringer that talked about the pelicans being the loneliest beat in the league yeah, I think we've come a long way since then. Uh, we're going to keep pressing on. We keep protecting the nest, keep trying to grow the game, staying hard in the paint on people. You want to tell the people where to find you. I'm sure everybody listening to this should know where to get at you, but just in case. Yeah, hit me at DM Grub on Twitter. You can also go to HITP underscore with underscore DG, Instagram, Facebook, and the iHeartRadio app. You can listen to and download the show for uh, free every day. Hey, man, we appreciate you having on. I hope to be on your show again. We hope to bring you back into the nest sometime soon. Appreciate you for coming on, DG. Oh, man, no problem. And you know you ain't got a hope to come back. You're <laughs> back. I, I, I'm the one who comes to you. I said, come, come on, come on. Come man, after these last work. couple of stories, it was popping. I was like, I got to save time for growth. I, I just went ahead and marked down the calendar. He did. What, listen, what? he did. Three days ago, he definitely did. <laughs> I, I, knew, I knew it was coming. When you post, I'm like, oh. It's all just love going back and forth that's between each other until somebody blocks me on Twitter, which half of, <laughs> half of them did. That's all right. That was my introduction to New Orleans media. It was about three or four of them decided to block me. But we're going to get past that. We're going to get past this little uh, outro. Again, thanks you for coming on. Lance, we'll let you get back to what you're doing. Yeah, man, I hey, got to go rent some trucks, man. Y'all get at him if you need him. I heard at least, at least one Pelicans player come through here, but we ain't gonna we ain't gonna leak that on this episode. Sure did. For, for protecting us, y'all come back at us. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.